G'day and welcome to Is It Relevant Today? Right here on Faith FM. I'm Marius Jigau and on this show we're examining biblical concepts and ideas and asking ourselves the important question, is it relevant today? Or is it as outdated and ridiculous as smoke signals? How are you? What's the standard answer you give when someone asks you, how are you? I asked three people at church this at the beginning of my sermon, and the answer each person I asked gave was, good. This is the standard answer that you get when you ask someone, how are you? People say, yeah, I'm good. The story goes that there was a gentleman in court, and he was being questioned by the prosecutor. And they were asking him what happened at the scene of the accident. You see, he had been involved in an accident. He'd been involved in an accident with a car that was carrying a horse trailer. And now he was claiming damages to the state. And the lawyer asked him, do you remember what you said to the police officer when he asked you how you were? And the man said, yes, yes, I do remember. And the lawyer says, did you not say to the police officer that you were perfectly fine after the accident? And the man said, yes, yes, I did. That is what I said to him. But you also need to understand what had happened prior to that. You see, the officer, before coming to me, went to the other couple and asked them how they were. And they both said, yeah, we're okay. And then they said, but our horse has a broken leg. So the officer went, took his shotgun and shot the horse. And then he came up to me, still holding his shotgun, and asked me, How are you? And I said, I'm perfectly okay. We often answer the question when we're asked how we are by saying that we're okay. We're doing good. But many times, there are other underlying problems. I used to be, and sometimes still am, one of those annoying people who, when someone asks them how they are, I would actually answer truthfully. People would come up to me and say, how are you? And back in the day, I used to say, I'm struggling with drug addictions, thanks. And it would be like, um, awkward. I wanted to ask you today to look inside your heart and ask yourself, how am I? How am I doing in my walk with God? It's a new year. It's a good time to have a look at how the previous year has been. I want to ask you, where are you today in your religious walk as you were compared to this time last year? Are you closer to God today? Can you say, you know, in the last year, my prayer life has significantly improved? Can you say that, In the last year, my devotional life has improved. Or, if you were to be honest, would you say, you know what, I'm about the same. If this was a school year, would the principal be coming to you and saying, you know what, Uh, you need to repeat this year because you haven't made any progress. The new year is a good time to evaluate what happened last year. And it's a good time to make resolutions for what will happen this year. You know, as it's still relatively early in the year, we haven't had that much time to mess it up yet. I was looking at the kind of New Year resolutions that typically get made in Australia. What do you think the most common New Year's resolution is? We'll find out just after this song. 
Welcome back to Is It Relevant Today? I'm Marius Jigao and today we're looking at new beginnings. At the beginning of the year, many people make a New Year's resolution. In Australia last year, 51% of the people said that they are going to lose weight. It was interesting because 38% of people said that they would try to change their diet this year. And I was thinking to myself, what are the other 13% going to do to lose weight? Maybe just through exercise or who knows, liposuction. I'm not sure. 3% of people said that they would like to take more risks. Now, I definitely wouldn't be one of these. I'm already a bit prone to taking more risk than I should. 8% of people said that they would like to find love this year. And 42% of people said that they want to save more money. They want to spend less money. 20% of people said that they want to travel more. It's the beginning of a new year. So I thought it appropriate to have a look at someone in the Bible who just began a new walk with God. And I wanted to have a look at one of the kings. Now, many of us know the story of Jehoshaphat. We're going to have a look at his story today. And we're not going to have a look at the end of the story. Typically, when one looks at the story of Jehoshaphat, they look at the end of the story. It's very well known. But today we're going to look at the beginning of the story. We'll have a look at the end of the story in two weeks' time. As I was preparing this, I realized that my understanding of the kings, until just a couple of years ago, was really lacking. I know that many people know that the kingdoms were divided and the way that this happened, but I'm just going to share it with you just in case there are people like I used to be a couple of years ago. You see, the kingdom of Israel was united only for three kings. That's for King Saul, for King David, and for King Solomon. But after King Solomon, the kingdom split into two. You had Judah and Benjamin on one side, along with some of the Levites. And on the other side, you had the other ten tribes, who were collectively referred to as Israel. There were 19 kings in Israel before they were taken by Syria. Every single one of these kings were told that they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. When you read the story, it says, King Ahab did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Jeroboam did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Every single one of them did evil in the eyes of the Lord. In the tribes of Judah, who were mixed with Benjamin, but they were collectively called Judah, there was a mixture of good and evil kings. In fact, if you look at what is called Israelites today, they are the descendants of the tribe of Judah. Because the ones from the ten tribes of Israel were taken away captive. And they intermarried and their heritage kind of disintegrated. Much like my heritage will. I moved to Australia from Romania. Right? I'm 100% Romanian. But I've moved here. I've married someone from America. We're going to have Australian kids. And you can be sure that in two or three generations, no one in my lineage is going to know much about Romania, which is essentially what happened to the 10 tribes of Israel. Of the kings of Judah, there were 20 kings after the kingdom separated. We find that of those, four did good in the eyes of the Lord. It's only said of four of them that they did good in the eyes of God. That doesn't mean that they didn't do anything wrong. It's just said that they did good in the eyes of the Lord. 
There is another four of whom it said they did good, but not like their father David. So they did kind of good. Jehoshaphat was one of those of whom it said that he did good like his father David. Jehoshaphat is a great example of a new beginning. And we'll explore this example just after this song. of heights to the depths of the sea Creation's revealing your majesty From the colors of fall to the fragrance of spring Welcome back to Is It Relevant Today, right here on Faith FM. You're listening to Marius Jigao and today we're looking at new beginnings. 
We found out that once God's chosen people were split into the ten tribes of Israel, collectively called Israel, and the other two, Judah and Benjamin, collectively called Judah, all of the kings of Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. But in Judah, there were a few kings who did good in the eyes of the Lord. Of these, one was called Jehoshaphat. So let's explore the beginning of this king. Let's have a read of Second Chronicles chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. It says, Then Jehoshaphat his son reigned in his place and strengthened himself against Israel. And he placed troops in all the fortified cities of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah in the cities of Ephraim, which Asa his father had taken. Now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat, because he walked in the former ways of his father David, and did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father, and walked in his commandments, and not according to the acts of Israel. There's something in these verses that really stood out for me, which was this. We're told that the Lord was with Jehoshaphat. This is an amazing phrase. Ask yourself, If someone was writing out the story of your life, if your life was being recorded, and in fact we're told in the Bible that there is a record of our life, what would it say next to your name? Would it say next to my name? And Marius did good in the eyes of the Lord. Is that what it would say? I want you to ask yourself, what would it say next to your name? Would it say... And they did good in the eyes of the Lord? Or would it say something else? Would it say that the Lord was with him? That the Lord was with her? Or would it say something else? You see, we're told of Jehoshaphat that the Lord was with him. And then we're told why. It continues by saying, Because... This is why the Lord was with him, because he walked in the ways of his father David and did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments, not according to the acts of Israel. This is the reason that the Lord was with Jehoshaphat, because he sought after the God of his father. He made a decision at the beginning of his reign to seek God. He made a decision to make God of primary importance in his life. And then we're told that he walked in his commandments. He made a decision to obey God. And then we're told that he didn't walk according to the acts of Israel. He didn't partake in the wickedness of Israel. He turned away from evil. And for this reason, God was with him. It continues saying from verse 5 on, Therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand, and all of Judah gave presents to Jehoshaphat, and he had riches and honor in abundance, and his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he removed the high places and the wooden images from Judah. Also in the third year of his reign, he sent his leaders Ben-Hael, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nathaniel, and Micaiah to teach in the cities of Judah. It continues saying, So they taught in Judah and had the book of the law of the Lord with them. They went through all the cities of Judah and taught the people. I like to draw your attention back to the beginning of verse 5 where it says, Therefore 
the Lord established the kingdom in his hand. The reason that he was successful was because of what we're told he did in the previous verses. Because he sought God. He made an effort to keep God's commandments. He made an effort to shun evil and to keep away from evil. Because of this, God established him. God established his kingdom. And I'd like you to see what he did after God established his kingdom. We're told that in his third year, he sent leaders to teach in the cities of Judah. It says, so they taught in Judah and had the book of the law of the Lord with them. And they went through all of the cities of Judah and taught the people. Once God established him, he was thinking, you know what? I'm onto something here, right? Seeking God, keeping his commandments, turning away from evil. I need to tell everyone else about this so that everyone else can benefit just like I am. There's a verse in Second Chronicles which I believe holds the four secrets to a happy new year. It's a well-known verse, and we'll explore it just after this song. There is a joy in the journey
Welcome back to Is It Relevant Today? I'm Marius Jigao and today we're looking at new beginnings. We've discovered that Jehoshaphat was one of the few kings that did good in the eyes of God. And we're looking into what he did at the beginning of his reign to have this outcome. We found out that he turned his eyes towards God. He made an effort to keep his commandments and to turn away from the evil that Israel was doing. There's a verse that's also found in Second Chronicles, which I believe holds the four secrets to a happy new year. I believe this is essentially what Jehoshaphat did. This verse is found in chapter 7 verse 14 and it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. Now I've heard a number of well-meaning but ultimately misguided speakers who say that this verse only applies to the Israelites. And when I hear that I'm like, oh, doesn't the Bible say, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Also, if you look at just the way that this verse is formulated, right, I scratch my head when people say that this only applies to Israelites. Essentially, what it's saying is, if you humble yourself, if you seek God, then he's going to forgive you. Then he's going to bless you. Is this the way that God behaves only towards the Israelites? Or is this the way that God behaves towards all of us? These are the four secrets, and they're not really secrets. I'm just saying they're secrets. If we humble ourselves, if we pray, if we seek his face, if we turn from our wicked ways, then our lives will change. Our lives will change in a way that we never really imagined it could. I want to take a little bit of time to go through these concepts individually. The first is to humble ourselves. God wants us to humble ourselves. I think the reason for this is because the first sin that entered the universe is a sin of pride. And God knows where pride can lead. The other thing I was thinking about when I was thinking of this was my relation to my three-year-old son, Daniel. I believe that the way that God looks at us has some resemblance to the way that we look at our children. I was fixing the door handle the other day, and Daniel came up with a screwdriver in his hand. In his mind, he thought he could fix the door handle. Now, I knew that because he's only three, he has no idea on how to fix the door handle. I barely know how to do it myself. I believe that God looks at us in a similar way as we look at our children. They think they can do everything, but we know that they can't really do everything. Many times I think that God looks at us and thinks, oh boy, no, 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 that's not how it goes. God wants us to humble ourselves. He wants us to come before him with an attitude of humility. I think that one of the natural results of lack of humility is gossip. When we talk about others and put them down and say, ah, such and such did this and such and such did this, what we're doing in essence is we're showing a lack of humility while we're putting them down. And whether we realize it or not, the reason that we do this is because it lifts us up. When we gossip about people, we essentially hurt three people. The first one that we hurt is the others who we're gossiping about, right? We don't know the exact circumstances they're going through. We just sit behind them and we judge them like we're not really meant to. And we don't have a complete understanding of what they're going through. The second people that we hurt is ourselves. 
By gossiping about others, we're lifting ourselves up and actually hurting ourselves by doing this. The third people we hurt by gossiping is those we're actually gossiping to. Because when we gossip to them, we're now putting this burden upon them. And this is something else that they now have to struggle with. I was thinking, next time someone comes up to you and engages in gossip, I want you to say to them, why do you hate me, right? Why are you doing this to me? What have I done to you? The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that at the proper time He may exalt you. When we humble ourselves before God, He will raise us up at the appropriate time. The second thing that God asks us to do is... To pray. And we'll explore this and the other two just after this song. Come thou fount of every blessing Tune my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise Teach me some melodious sonnet Sung by flaming tongues above Praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it Mount of thy redeeming love Here I raise my Ebenezer Here by thy great help I've come And I hope by thy good pleasure Safely to arrive at home Jesus sought me when a stranger Wandering from the fold of God He to rescue me from danger Interposed His precious blood That day when freed from sinning I shall see thy lovely face Clothed then in blood-washed linen How I'll sing thy sovereign grace Come my Lord, no longer tarry Take my ransom soul away Send thine angels now to carry me to realms of endless day. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I am constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave. 
God I love Here's my heart Oh, take and seal it Seal it for thy courts above Here's my heart Oh, take and seal it Seal it for thy courts above Welcome back to Is It Relevant Today? Right here on Faith FM. I'm Marius Jigel and today we're looking at new beginnings. We've discovered that the secret to a new beginning is clearly outlined in a very well-known verse in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, which says, If my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. The first step to a new beginning is to humble ourselves. The next one is to pray. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 to 18, it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is something that we have made an extra special effort to do at Horsham Church this year. A number of us have been gathering every morning to pray, and God has blessed us abundantly. The next thing that God says for us is to seek His face. To put time aside for God. To put time aside to get to know Him. In Jeremiah 29 verse 13, it says, And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Usually, when one thinks of a passage in Jeremiah 29, it's verse 11. It's one of the most often quoted verses in the Bible. The one that says, For I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. But it continues in verse 12 and says, Then you will go and pray to me. This was the previous step. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. We're told here that we will only find him when we search for him With all our heart. If you're not searching for God with all your heart, you can't expect to find Him. We need to make time for God to put time aside specifically for Him so that we can enter into a relationship with Him. You cannot have a relationship with God unless you're putting time aside for Him daily. Now, I've said this before a number of times in many of my shows. You are deluding yourself if you think that you're having a good relationship with God but you're not putting time aside for him daily. The last secret to a happy new year is to turn from our wicked ways. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. These are some pretty sobering words. Jesus is saying, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What's lawlessness? The Bible tells us in Romans that sin is lawlessness. 
When I read these verses, I realize that there's something in them that one can be really concerned about and that one maybe should be really concerned about. In verse 22, it says, Have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name? You can imagine that some of the people who will be excluded from heaven will be those who have cast out demons. Now, I'm not sure about you, but I have yet to cast out any demons. I can imagine these people are thinking, we've done all these studies. We've bought healing. All these miracles have happened. And Jesus says to them, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. If we want to have a revitalized Christian experience, we need to put away the sins in our life. We all have petty sins that we cherish, sins that we just can't seem to get rid of. Some people struggle with gossip, others struggle with lust, some struggle to forgive others, others struggle watching things that they know they really shouldn't be watching, that they know that Christians shouldn't be watching, you know, like shows with violence and sex scenes and God's name being taken in vain. And we say to ourselves, ah, it's all right, it's just a bit of entertainment, or ah, it's all right, you know, this person, did you see what they did to me? How can I forgive them? And, you know, you say, did you see what this person did? How can I not gossip about them? And, you know, that girl, she's dressed with such a short skirt. What do you expect me to think? Where do you expect my mind to go? And we justify all these little sins instead of making a decided effort to put them away as the Bible instructs us to. I want to tell you the four secrets to a happy new year. Humble yourselves. Pray. Seek his face and turn from our wicked ways. I want to ask you again, how are you? How are you doing today? How are you doing in your walk with God? Do you need a revival in your religious experience? The way to do this is not overly complicated. On the 1st of January this year, it was a very special year for me. It wasn't just the new year. It was seven years from when I decided to give my heart to God. Seven years from when I gave up drugs and seven years from when I said, I'm going to follow Him. One of the things I realized as I was preparing this talk was that I was putting these four secrets into practice and I didn't even realize it. When I came to God seven years ago, I was at rock bottom. It's much easier to be humble when you're at rock bottom. I made a decision to put aside one hour for God, to pray and to seek His face. And I made a decision to turn from my wicked ways, to put aside the things that I knew that didn't belong in a Christian life. And God has blessed me so abundantly that I could never have imagined. I could never have imagined that one day I would be standing up in front of people and telling them about what God has done for me. I could never have imagined that God would give me a beautiful, amazing wife and two amazing children and one more on the way. God's blessings have been too many to measure. I realize that one of the reasons we often struggle to have a revitalized Christian walk is because we leave out one or more of these steps. Sometimes we humble ourselves and pray, but we don't put time aside for God. We try to turn away from our wicked ways, but we don't make that time for a relationship with God. 
Sometimes we humble ourselves, we seek his face, we pray, but we don't turn from our wicked ways. We hold on to those petty sins and we want to have a relationship with God and we realize that it's just not working because we are holding on to those things. We are not making a decided effort to put them away. I want to invite you today to make a decision. It's the new year. It's the best time to make such a decision. I want to invite you to make a decision like Jehoshaphat. To humble ourselves, to pray, to seek his face, and to turn from our wicked ways. This is what Jehoshaphat did. This is why we're told that the Lord was with him. I want to invite you to make this decision today. And may the Lord be with you. We thank you for listening today and don't forget to visit our YouTube channel called Is It Relevant Today? where we have video presentations on many topics including the one we've just been talking about called The Four Secrets to a Happy New Year. We look forward to seeing you next week. I'm Marius Jigal. God bless and I hope you have a magnificent day. Before the throne of God above I have a strong and perfect plea A great high priest whose name is love Whoever lives and pleads for me My name is graven on his hands My name is written on his heart I know that while in heaven he stands No tongue can bid me thence Depart When Satan tempts me to despair And tells me of my guilt within Upward I look and see him there Who made an end of all my sins Because the sinless Savior died My sinful soul is counted free For God the just is satisfied To look on Him and pardon me Behold Him there the Perfect, spotless righteousness The great unchangeable I am The King of glory and of grace One with Himself I cannot die My soul is purchased by His blood My life is hid with Christ on high With Christ my Savior and my God My life is hid with Christ on high With Christ my Savior and my
sun to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss! The father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring. You've been listening to Is It Relevant Today? If you have any questions or comments, please leave them on our Facebook page, Is It Relevant Today? But for now, thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next week. I love to tell the story T'will be my theme in glory To tell the old, old story Of Jesus and His love